Hey, deserving listeners, as many of you know, as I often will rant about, mainstream American culture, and maybe even particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, we have a culture where it denies human touch, which is a needed thing for us to feel at balance, for us to feel attuned to, for us to feel attached, for us to feel normalized, for us to feel okay. And we, uh, some people will go for months without ever touching a single human being except for like incidental touching, maybe like bumping into someone on the bus or maybe a handshake here and there. And even those people who I would consider to be quite touchy probably maybe hug someone once a day, which I think is not natural. If we look to our primate cousins, they're all over each other all the time because they don't have society telling them that touching is uh, gross or creepy or dependent or childish or something, or, or you're going to catch a disease or whatever it is that prevents us all from getting us what we need. And so there are movements afoot in our society to try to change this, one of which is what I'm just going to call the cuddling movement, if you will. I first started to hear about this in the 90s, maybe the aughts. These organizations uh, that people would get together either like a support group, like a peer support group where they're like, hey, we need human touch and we're going to uh, cuddle. And it's it's not sexual. And if there's there's nothing sexual about it, it's just human touch. And it's, you know, voluntary and consensual and there's rules around it. And, you know, it, all the personalities are there trying to. And then there were like professional cuddlers that started to come out, you know, people who you go into their yurt and you get under a blanket and you cuddle. And when I heard about this, of course, my first knee-jerk reaction was like, well, that's kind of odd, or uh, is this prostitution, or is this an orgy, or what is this? But then I very quickly realized that, no, this is a needed response to our sick society. And so I have a special guest on the podcast today, Erez. He is a professional cuddler or an organizational cuddler sort of dude. And so I thought we would get his experiences. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kirk. How are you doing? Good. So uh, what got you started in this? I've always been an avid cuddler. Um, I don't think... It started when I was very young, but I uh, also realized the importance of touch uh, a little later in life when I was uh, serving in the military. Uh, there was um, a situation, if you'd like to hear about it, where yeah. um, my platoon and I were going into a very risky mission, and um, our commander said, guys, hold hands. And of course, you know, we were a bunch of manly men, all tough and hardened, and we're like, this, this sounds odd holding hands what are we you know babies but he insisted of course and we had to follow the command and once we held hands we realized this actually works immediately it relieved some of the tension it bonded us it it felt good and natural and warm and alleviated a lot of the stress and fear that that associated with this kind of stuff and of course we went into the mission we did it and that's where i started realizing how touch is not something weird. It's not something odd. It's not sexual. It's just a normal human thing that we all need. Yeah. It, that reminds me of, I grew up playing American football and we, in the huddle, would hold each other's hands. And there were teams that did that and there were teams that didn't do it. It wasn't like all teams held hands in the huddle, uh, but we would. And I remember uh, feeling that sort of camaraderie. And there's a 
you have to overcome something to do that, as you realized in, in, in the military was there's like, well, wait, we're not supposed to do this. We're breaking some kind of rule here. But then once you do it, it's just like, oh, this, this feels good, right? Uh, so that sparked your interest. And then here in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, uh, what do you do? Well, I sp- I'm, I'm a regular guy, so I spend most of my life just not cuddling. I would cuddle with my partner. I was married for a significant amount of time, so I would cuddle with my wife. Um, later on, I had a child. I cuddled with my child. And uh, at some point, um, I joined this uh, organization called the CSPC, uh, also known as the Center for Sex Positive Culture. And that organization has uh, various events where uh, people are very open-minded uh, about anything and the idea of, uh, of of cuddling in a group kind of came about, and that's what we would do. I would uh, at events where I would go to me sometimes my uh, my wife at the time friends. We would just pull out a bunch of mattresses from the back, set them up, and cuddle in a group um, next to each other, on top of each other, um, socialize, caress each other. Sometimes just form a very kind of healthy relationship, and we were all in one big group. That went on for quite a while until uh, the CSPC uh, shut down its doors in 2016, and for a while I was cuddleless. <laughs> so uh, at some point, um, it it came to me as an idea to just try to re- relive this. So I approached an owner of another uh, organization in the area, a place in uh, Woodenville, and I suggested we do this again in some kind of a formal capacity. Uh, he went for it. And uh, it became a huge success. We had dozens of people show up, as many as 120 in some of the events. And same thing, we would set up a bunch of mattresses and just cuddle in a group. Uh, that was all really terrific. It ran for about a year and a half, uh, again, very successful, but I wanted more. So at some point, I decided to just, uh, you know, open a club and dedicate it to this, and which, is, which is what I did back in September of uh, 2019. Uh, the place is called Spoons. It's located in Seattle, and it's just a space dedicated or centered around uh, the notion of cuddling. Where um, is it? It's in downtown Seattle on the uh, Indian International D- District. Okay. It's a nice little building that has uh, restaurants and other businesses. So all of them are pretty regular. And we have a space. It's not very large. Uh, it's kind of... A little bit intimate and cozy and warm, soft lighting, a lot of mattresses. And there we have two events a week, sometimes even more. Depends on uh, what my community wants. Uh, I think that's a key word in this kind of situation, community. That's really what I'm trying to build here, a community of people who are open-minded and are interested and like to cuddle. Um, A significant part of the people who come to Spoons are regulars who come every week, sometimes twice a week. Uh, Of course, we have a lot of new people joining every time. And we run an event for four, five, six hours, depends on, on factors, where we just cuddle in groups on those mattresses. Yeah. So as I was saying earlier, we need more touch do you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a very fundamental thing that we all need. Uh, you probably know how um, when a child is born, the first thing the doctors will tell a mother is cuddle your child, spend time to skin to skin. It is an important, even critical part of the human development. And sometimes, like you said, due to society uh, notions or rules in different places, people kind of step away from that or forget how important it is. Um, people who have partners of different types uh, typically do some kind of cuddling. Some don't uh, for, reason, for different reasons. Some of them don't because their partner doesn't like to cuddle. Sometimes life gets in the way. They are too busy. They don't have that time to kind of delve into that uh, calmness, uh, that period of time. Some people don't have partners for different reasons. 
I think everybody deserves to, to be touched, everybody who wants to, of course. And that's one of the reasons I created Spoons. We have the events where you can come and enjoy that healthy, bene- uh, beneficial touch, whether you are single, whether you're married, whether you're young or old, pretty or ugly, rich or poor. We have options for everybody, and uh, that's what I'm trying to create there. I have heard about other cities in the United States and around the world who also have organizations like this. Is that true? I've heard of a few. There were some that came into existence and uh, disappeared. Some still exist. There's also, I believe you mentioned, uh, professional cuddlers who are typically individuals that would cuddle with a person on a session basis. So you would get them for an hour or more up to you. Uh, So that's a little bit different, but I think any touch is good. So I'm totally supportive of those. At least one of my members is also one of those professional cuddlers, and I'm really in love with the idea, and I'm really happy that he's doing this. Yeah. So I want to get back to something you said about the the Center for Sex Positive Culture. One of our very first episodes back in 2008 was Mm -hmm. with uh, Alina Gabosch, Mm -hmm. who was the director. And a dear friend of mine. Okay. And she came on to talk about sex positive culture and also about BDSM. And it's still and polyamory. It's it's still one of our most popular episodes. Eleven years ago, <laughs> and she invited us to come to the center uh, in Interbay. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. And me and the other co-hosts, Umberto and Lita, um, went there for some evening event. She it was like a because it's a membership thing like you can't just walk in you have to Alina Gabosch had to vouch for us to to get in on a temporary basis anyway it was the hottest day in Seattle history like in the middle of the summer uh 2008 uh and it uh was very interesting you know there's a lot of things going on a lot of different BDSM things dancing talking uh there were things in other rooms uh, there was no air conditioning. <laughs> there were cages and, you know, uh, just various different kinds of things happening. Uh, people having sex. Now, that was just one evening event. The sex, Center for Sex Positive Culture has a lot of different kinds of events. I didn't know they had cuddling events back in the day. They did, yep. Uh, that were, I'm guessing, non-sexual. That depends on the guests of that specific event. The, the way I organize those cuddle uh, things were not sexual. Okay. So it's, it, occasionally a person might be uh, somewhat or completely undressed, but uh, relatively rare. And that's the same way at Spoons. Um, we, we, we are a open-minded so, uh, a group of people who come to this to, to Spoons, and a significant portion of my, popu- of my um, guests are also members of the CSPC, or at least former members. So they are open-minded, and that means at Spoons as well, they are permitted to engage in some uh, more adult-oriented activity. Uh, some of our events are geared specifically towards those kind of activities, although it's not a a, a huge part of it. I could say, you know, if in the five months that we've been open, there have been uh, a handful, maybe you know, four or five incidents where people actually engaged in adult activity, uh, they're permitted to. It's up to them. But it's not a very significant part of what we do. Uh, you know, for I'm trying to imagine what that looks like exactly. Because, I mean, as a caveat before I ask this question, I know that there are other uh, cuddling organizations in Seattle where that's like strictly prohibited, yes. where they're like, no, 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 even if... Two people are consenting to any kind of sexual genital 
you know, mm-hmm. stimulation. Yes. Uh, you know, that's not what we're here to do. Uh, we want to make everyone comfortable. We don't want to have any kind of um, uh, mixing of different worlds. Uh, we want to focus on cuddling. And, and there's another place if you want to do cuddling and uh, sexual activity, mm-hmm. then by all means, you know, but let's let's have this beef because a lot of people uh, who are reticent to start it, if they hear about the possibility of sexual things happening that could ramp up all an already anxious individual. Uh, so but, you know, it's if, if you set the rules and everyone understands what's happening going into it, there's obviously nothing wrong with it. Um, but I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. So I go to one of these cuddling events and it's like, well, maybe sex could happen, but but it's not likely. And if it does, it's consensual. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, are there how many people are there? So um, our space is approximately five to six hundred square foot, and we have four or five mattresses out in that space. So some of them are adjacent to each other. Some are separate, uh, both physically by distance. We also have one of them uh, with a curtain around it, which is kind of designated for people who want a little more privacy uh, to do something. Um, when an event starts, people just kind of huddle up on those mattresses in a group. And like I said, some of them are adjacent to each other and forming a, a structure that's larger than a single mattress. So it's suitable for you know, 20 people to be there on this at the same time. And th- the majority of that's exactly what it is. So people are just going to lie down on a mattress next to each other, sometimes in a spooning position which I guess alludes to our name, Spoons, uh, they might figure out a way to kind of fit all on a mattress. So the idea is to create a closeness, uh, not quite forcing, but kind of um, uh, encouraging people to really be close to each other and share that connection and touch and caressing sometimes. How many people? Uh, in events, we have anywhere between 10 and 40. 40 is a little bit on the packed side because the space is not very large, but... Um, 30 is very comfortable, very kind of optimal for that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the Spoons has been growing steadily, of course, since day one. We've had about 30% growth every month. So it's been getting wow. fairly busy, and I'm starting to add more events. For example, this week we have three instead of two oh. to accommodate for more people. Uh, I'm not sure if it's easy to imagine. Of course, we have pictures of the space and how a cuddle uh, a pile or a cuddle puddle, how we like to call it, kind of looks like for people to imagine. But the idea is that we always have some separation going on. So people who prefer some more adult activity can take it to a secondary or another mattress where it wouldn't be in anybody's face or make them uncomfortable. Can you hear it happening or like is or uh, is it quiet? If, if it's The place is very quiet and we have very soft kind of relaxing music going on. If people engage in sexual activity and they make normal human noises, that could happen. But generally speaking, um, it's fairly it's fairly quiet and relaxing and not very obtrusive. Mm-hmm. It's it's a guiding principle. So I mean, uh, it's not it hasn't happened. But if somebody comes in or starts screaming their head off, I would uh, intervene and make sure that nobody feels uncomfortable in that kind of situation. I just imagine, and again, obviously this isn't for everyone. Um, some people have traumas that yes. would prevent them or just personal preferences, whatever. But there's so many therapeutic healing uh, opportunities because there's just so much shame we have around touch and so much shame we have about our bodies and so much shame we have about our breath and the way we smell and 
um, and all that has to be overcome and uh, to have the corrective experience of people not shying away from us and, and inviting that in and uh, maybe even saying you smell good or something. Yeah. Uh, so that, and that's just like surface level stuff. And then the shame we have around, um, you know, again, the way our body is and uh, touching other people and um, uh, of different kinds of people like uh, men touching men non-sexually, mm-hmm. uh, how that would evoke our brotherly or fatherly kinds of traumas around rejection and denial of touch growing up or something. Um, and just how powerful that would be for someone who's been through, uh, you know, touch trauma of some sort, physical, sexual, to go into that space. And again, because it's safe and you have a power and if something kind of goes wonky, you're there to uh, kind of mediate to have this corrective experience around the touch um, being safe and, and have that repetitive uh, you know, day to day encounter. I just can imagine it just, just have being a powerful experience for people. Do you hear that from people? Yes, yes. I get a significant amount of very positive feedback, very warm responses, and a lot of people who come again and again, even uh, twice a week. Uh, I do take a, quite a bit of quite a few steps as part of running the place to indeed. Uh, create an atmosphere and feeling of warmth and safety. Uh, One of them, of course, is the fact that I vet individually every person before they have the ability to access the space. Like the the address, for example, is not publicly uh, disclosed. People have to talk to me on the phone individually. Uh, I spend a number of uh, time with them. Some of them, I meet them in person before they can get in to make sure that they are safe, that there are... um, not a risk to anybody else. How can you, you know. tell? What would you see as a red there's, flag? There's, there's, uh, it, the process is not something I can just outline in a few sentences, but because it, it takes a while, uh, I look at their online profiles, both um, uh, assuming it's available, of course. Uh, sometimes they might give me references, a person to vouch for them. Sometimes one of their partners is already a member, and I know that they could vouch for, for somebody else. Uh, I talk to them for a period of, of time, so it could be 5, 10, 15 minutes. Like I said, sometimes I meet them in person to, to gain who I'm talking to, and I ask them about their life. I ask them about their um, uh, history, their past, if they have anything that happened that might be a concern. Uh, For example, a person mentioned to me uh, a few weeks ago that they have a stalker, uh, which, of course, would be bad news for us. So uh, we discuss the specifics of who that person is, what the situation is. They have a restraining order, uh, how they look like, so that I can make sure um, that that person, if that they don't show up, and if they do show, show up, how uh, how we handle this and make sure nothing happens. So uh, so it's an important part of the concept. And beyond that, at the space itself, uh, I greet everybody that comes in, and I make sure that they do feel kind of right at home, right there. Um, you you probably seen this in other places. A lot of places you go to, you find yourself in the corner with your snack or your drink, not sure kind of what to do and how to fit in. That does not happen at Spills. People are people. They're normal, and sometimes they could feel that way. They could be shy. They could be introverted. They could be just new. Everything is normal, but uh, I, as the owner, as the guy who runs the events, uh, keep track of everything. I walk the floor throughout the entire night and keep an eye on people, and if I see somebody 
who I think needs a little bit of help in that sense, I would approach him and I would either introduce them around to people. Sometimes I might try to find them a place to cuddle with others if they can't really figure it out on their own. Sometimes I would just kind of plant my, myself on a mattress and go, hey, come, come here, cuddle with me. And form kind of like a group around me. And that kind of starts to flow and makes people all very comfy and cozy. Yeah, that's why I have such a high recurrence rate because everybody's really, really happy with how that works. Is there an age uh, requirement? Uh, the age requirement is adults, so people who are above 18. Um, I wouldn't. I would be concerned if somebody's 18 but still in high school uh, due to some legal uh, you know, aspects of this. But generally speaking, adults, and we have a very wide range of ages from, I believe the youngest I've seen was about 22 so far. And uh, the oldest person is probably about 60. What's the gender distribution? It's it's varies, so I don't control it or even try to control it. That would be a big no-no for me. But I would say it's about uh, it's about fifty-fifty on average. Some events are more uh, attractive to guys, some more to women. We've also had events with there were majority of women, but like I said, I don't try to control it. Uh, it's, it's not a it's not an agenda. For, it's not a purpose because again, the there's not to meant to um, to facilitate couples cuddling or dating or hooking up. Right. Uh, in my, in my opinion, and most of my guests. It's just as fun to cuddle with your own gender than another gender. We have a significant portion of people from the LGBTQ community, including people who are asexual, people who are trans. And the the, the idea is that cuddling is, like you said, it's non-sexual. I mean, it could be in some situations, but I'm a cuddle purist myself. For me, cuddling is not sexual. It's not a gateway to sex or to making out. And uh, for me, cuddling with any human being is as fun as women for that matter, um, and I try to create that kind of atmosphere where we would enjoy a cuddle no matter who it's there. So you said there are events that are more attractive to particular genders? Yes. Uh, like some what of kind of events? events? So some of our events are um, more adult-oriented or have different themes and different parties. So for example, last week we had a comedy night where I brought in uh, seven comedians and they did a comedy show. Like that, while people are cuddling? No, no. <laughs> oh. that, well, I mean, I would have liked that to be done, but of course we had to let them focus. I mean, I feel bad for the comedian, unless they were cuddling too, I suppose. But. Yes. Well, we had we had, we had had 40 people in the house at the time, so I had to kind of put out a bunch of chairs, and it was very similar to a setup of a comedy club okay. in that sense. After the show was over, we put away the chairs, put all the mattresses, and most of the people who stayed around cuddled uh, regularly. Uh, we have a regular monthly game night where we pull out card games and board games, anything from Stratego to uh, from Cards Against Humanity to Monopoly. We even have our own uh, custom specially made set of Monopoly with uh, that kind of centers around the sex positive community. Uh, we have TV, uh, we have nights where we have a TV show playing. We have, of course, uh, more adult oriented, so kink uh, focused events. Uh, we have once a month we play uh, a porn uh, movies on, on on a screen we have there. So different different types of, of things based on who likes to come. And of course, once a month we have a purely platonic event where there's no adult activity permitted or nudity of any kind. So for those who really are very timid about that kind of stuff, that is one, once a month they can enjoy that kind of atmosphere as well. What do you mean? So all the other events are there's sexual potential is that what you're saying it's allowed it's permitted yeah it doesn't happen a lot like i said it happens once or twice a month but it's permitted if people want to are you becoming the next sex positive culture center in seattle 
I think it would be way above me to aspire to that level. I mean, the CSPC, first of all, it's still around. It still exists and it runs. And beyond that, I mean, it's an organization that's been around for decades. I don't presume to be. But it sounds like, like that. you're at least a, another uh, venue. Uh, it's, it's so, I mean, because the, the events you're saying are exactly the same that would happen at Sex Positive Culture. They would have barbecues and game nights and and all that kind of stuff. and Yeah, in a lot of ways it is like that. And um, uh, again, we cater to similar audiences. Uh, I just you know, don't want to be arrogant or, or <laughs> presumptuous about this. I've created my space. It has uh, some differences from CSBC and other venues in the re- region. Uh, I offer some benefits. Some, uh, in some ways, I think I made it better. In some ways, it's not. How I mean, is it better? Uh, it's better, for example, in the fact that we have a very large a parking garage dedicated to us with a room for 70 cars. Mm. Uh, we're also on a very main transportation, uh, public transportation hub, so people can get there from anywhere very easily. Uh, I've made a lot of small things in the place that make it fun, like uh, a phone charging station, so you don't run low on juice. There's special places on the walls to hold your glasses while you're cuddling so they don't get crushed. Uh, a lot of things of that nature, uh, but obviously the place is small. Uh, the CSBC has a very large space, can host hundreds of people, while I cannot. So there's always those differences. You said it closed in 2016? The CSBC closed its doors in 2016 in their original location, which was in Ballard. Uh, it was In uh, Inner Bay or Ballard? It was in Ballard. It was in well, Ballard? South, south of Ballard, just south of the... Yeah, of Inner the, Bay. Of the, Inner but, uh, I'm not familiar with the name of the area, but yes. Yeah. So it closed the, the location there in 2016, and it was uh, without its own location for a while. Uh, Why'd they close? Um, there was um, the, the, the owner of the building where it was decided to sell the property to, uh-huh. for redevelopment and it became a storage uh, unit, storage location. The CSPC at the time had no permanent location for a while and eventually they did um, in a cooperation with an organization called Pan Arrows. They opened the location that is in downtown Seattle on Pioneer Square, oh. which is where they operate now. Um, there's differences. So it used to run 40 events a month and now I believe it's one or two. Um, mm. And like I said, m- many of my uh, guests are uh, current or former member of the CSPC, so it's uh, it's shared in a lot of ways. I mean, are a lot of your people in your community thankful that someone opened up another venue that emulates at least the or continues the community? Yes, and it's very important for me not to be uh, you know in a competition mode. Um, there are many venues that cater to our community, and all of them are terrific. I oftentimes refer people to them to their uh, activities. My website also lists and links all of them together. Um, I think we all need options. I mean, people like my guests need options. I believe the community needs those events ven- events and venues. And I think we all gain and benefit from supporting each other and recommending each other rather than trying to win or anything like that. Right. I mean, the whole idea is based on the benevolence of let's uh, open our doors to the you know sides of most people, if not all people, that are being suppressed by society, not only in cuddling, obviously, but also sexual expression and and being able to talk about things in a sex-positive manner. Yes. Uh, we're all traumatized by sexual shaming and by uh, body shaming and um, gender shaming and whatever. And <clears throat> the sex-positive culture... Uh, movement that's been around for a while has uh, been uh, trying to push back on that. We're uh, 
succeeding in some ways, but you know, it's this giant tidal wave of shame that is to some extent ever increasing in some ways, in my opinion, or at least in certain arenas. We're we're definitely not healthy as a society. You know, there's just so much shame and limitation and judgment and yeah. And I'm not just talking about you know the religious right uh, per se. Uh, it's everybody. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, obviously, with all that um, hope and benevolence in the community, uh, you're not out to crush another organization. <laughs> the opposite. The opposite. Um, yeah. uh, Alina Gabosh, uh, how does she feel about scaling back? Uh, do you know? I don't know how she feels about the CSBC, but of course, she's still involved uh, with them. She's doing events uh, or involved in events that are there. She was also um, uh, planning and appearing in my comedy night to perform. Uh, unfortunately, due to illness, she was unable to attend. But uh, I, I've, I feel a lot of positive vibes from her. Like I said, she's a dear friend to me. Yeah. Um, you're right about the fact that our society does cause some challenges. I've personally uh, observed a child, nine-year-old child, get uh, disciplined for hugging another student in school when they were partying on some uh, school day. That kind of state of mind is harmful to anybody. Uh, we we don't need, we, we shouldn't feel shame or bad about wanting to touch another person and enjoy that kind of situation. Um, I've I mean, there's there's a caveat to that of just like maybe the kid being hugged doesn't want to be. Uh, there's a way to help kids navigate that that doesn't just shut it down, right? Absolutely. It's like, oh, you know, you're hugging. That's great that you want to hug. You know, hug me. I want to hug. But, you know, we want to kind of make sure that people are okay with it, you Absolutely. know, and sort of yep. navigate that so that um, it's not a black and white kind of Of course, consent is always a significant, uh, significant factor for me personally, for spoons, right. and for anybody who should have that uh, on their mind. In the case I'm referring to with the child, that was absolutely consensual. It was a very normal thing. That child and the other child were regular friends and uh, used to hug. And then one day, one of the teachers saw them and felt it was inappropriate for right. a student to touch and, another. And not to fault the, the, the teacher, although we can, but uh, it's a system uh, that a legal system, a political system, a yeah, a societal system, or potentially a religious system, I suppose, that upholds this uh, very, very strong notion that you do not touch other people. Because if you're touching other people, that is like a hair width away from sexually abusing them, <laughs> which I find to just be bizarre, you know. And as, you know, a man, a cisgender man myself, I, I it's worse for for our kind because it's like if I am on the bus and you know someone needs help or something and I reach out um, I won't because I'm like well I'm pretty sure at least half the people on this bus will assume I'm trying to rape someone or I'm trying to grope someone Uh, a a cisgender woman uh, can uh, there will still be shame but it there's just this tremendous uh culture around creepiness and sexual predators and you know and and a lot of men in my uh, circle are frequently ranting about like look there are sexual predators out there they're a minority <laughs> they're out there and i get i get the association but it's like 0.1% or 1% I, mean, I don't know it's it's a small percentage of cisgender men who 
would ever be capable of doing such a thing. The rest of us are not capable. We're, we don't want to. It's not on the agenda. Uh, we don't like non-consensual acts. We don't want to impose ourselves on other people. It's actually like nails on a chalkboard to think we would, you know, touch someone in a way that they wouldn't want to be touched. And so stop assuming that we're all rapists. Uh, I get the association. We need to do what we can for, you know, victim advocacy and putting rapists in their place. But don't generalize to all of us for, for crying out loud. It's, it's Agreed. Yeah, yeah. People are people are concerned. People are afraid. And uh, it, it it's true that statistically speaking, the majority of uh, sexual predators are men, and that's something I cannot change. But you're right. This is ultimately a small percentage, and there is. Uh, the, we have the ability to, to develop relationships and trust each other and have normal, regular interactions without assuming that everybody is a predator or a creepy just because they m- could or might be or theoretically. Um, it's just it's just the way our society developed. Something happened to me a few months ago at work. I was at, at my office. I work for a technology company. And a colleague of mine, um, male, uh, touched my face with his fingers, which blew me away. I was shocked that, not in a negative way, on the contrary, I was shocked that he trusts me enough to let himself touch my face without fearing that I'm going to run screaming to HR or getting fired or or getting anything crazy going on. Uh, It was kind of like a humorous thing. His fingers were wet. He wanted to wet my face to kind of, sort of a prank kind of thing. But again, uh, I was just elated that he and I have such a strong and close relationship that he trusts me this way. And of course, I trust him similarly. And um, um, I, I just I wish our society one day goes into a situation where people can and do trust each other in that fashion. And uh, if I were to come to work, and there's a colleague that's close to me or a friend when we, we would hug on coming in or coming out, or whatever it is, uh, without fear that it's some kind of criminal or disgusting or horrible activity. How do you work more touch into your regular life outside the your center? Um, my own um, social circle are people who are very close to me. Many of them are guests of Spins. So for us, for, for me and all of my friends, it's very normal to touch and to hug and uh, even cuddle sometimes, you know, on on, on, on a regular basis. There was actually... Like where? What kind of context would you cuddle? Um, we go. We might go to get coffee together and sit on a couch, and just instead of sitting across from each other, we would sit sit, sit, sit or sit next to each other, and, and um, I might you know caress them. They might caress me, something like that. In fact, there was a time in between those uh, the creation of spoons and the closure of the CSBC where I was missing cuddling and touch so much that I actually organized a cuddle event at IKEA. Which it's true. I mean, uh, it's really happened. We we organized a bunch of about fifteen people. We just met up at IKEA. They have this area near the cafeteria. Where there's a bunch of couches, and we just hung there for a few hours and talked and ca- caught up on stuff. You know, it, it was months since we've seen each other, and we and and we did this while touching. And it was, I guess, a few people kind of thought it was weird. I guess people pass her by, but we really enjoyed it. It was very nice, very fun, very uh, very normal. The employees me. didn't do anything? Nope, nothing. It was it went on for hours and everybody was good with it. So I want to take a break and when we get back, I want to ask you about the potential legal issues, okay? Sure. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to patreon.com, become a patron of the podcast to get access to all of our best episodes. 
and you want to have to listen to ads like you just listened to. So I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that you try to avoid legal issues. What sort of legal issues do you avoid? Well, of course, people who are underage may not have the legal ability to consent to some of the activity that goes on at Spoons. Um, Sexual activity itself and kink activity are usually uh, restricted to people who are adults. So um, it's not a very clear, like forbidden or disallowed. I mean, people who are uh, consenting above certain ages are okay to do it, but I don't want to take any kind of... uh, risks in that situation. Uh, I want to be above reproach in that kind of sense. That's why Spoons is also a legally registered business, just like uh, any other. And it's your side gig. Is it making money for you? I mean, you don't have to answer that question, but it, you know, you said you work in tech. and I do, yes. This is like your hobby? or it, it, I, I like to think of it as my calling rather than my hobby, but yes, it is a hobby. It is a side uh, uh, activity for me. I work in tech. And... Um, I've invested pretty much everything I had in making Spoons happen. So I'm obviously, you know, businesses take time to take off. They require investment. I invested a significant amount and I'm I'm actually very transparent about it. Anybody who asks will hear the exact number of dollars I put in there. Uh, and I hopefully within time, I uh, actually might break even this month, very likely. Uh, very cl- We're very close to this in January, but uh, the snow uh, hampered some of our plans. So I'm optimal that we'll break even. And then, you know, with time, maybe in a year or two, um, I might be able to cover some of those costs. Uh, lucky for me, because I work in tech and I make a significant amount of money, uh, that means I can afford to kind of take a breath and not be too stressed out if I make less or uh, even lose a certain amount of money uh, in the process. That's lucky for me. Does this... You mentioned that you used to be married, and I don't know, yes. your current... Uh, I am divorced, yes. Di- are you in a relationship with someone right now? Yes, I am polyamorous, uh, which people probably guessed because the sex positivity is very uh, much in line with with, uh, with polyamory. So I do have... Uh, I have a, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and I'm dating a couple of people that might eventually develop into more serious relationships. Okay. I'm very open to it. Because I was, I was wondering if your energy into this calling was a way of having uh, intimacy and physical touch without the complication of having to commit or (laughs) having to, uh, I don't know, uh, find someone that's compatible with you or something. I don't know. Is is this question making any sense? It, it makes a lot of sense, and like I said, a lot of people who come to Spoons are people who may find it challenging to, to have somebody else or somebody regular to cuddle with. Me, myself, I've not had a challenge with this. Like I said, I have a, a girlfriend and boyfriend that I've had for over two years, way before Spoons, and um, I I don't think I'll have much challenges in finding somebody to cuddle with, but I do like, uh, I mean, like I said, uh, Spoons is my calling. Uh, bringing cuddling to the world is my calling and something that I want to do hopefully one day full-time, maybe even you know, have other uh, cuddle clubs, other places that will reach additional audiences, people who are too far away from, from Seattle or uh, you know find it challenging in terms of s- scheduling. People need touch. It's, it's very evident. It's very clear. And uh, the responses I have from my guests clearly show that this is the right thing to do, that this is causing very positive impact to their lives. And I just want to bring it to as many people as I can. So uh, Alina Gabosh, upon meeting me in 2008 and really opening my brain to sex positive culture and to polyamory and I guess to BDSM to some extent as well, 
I uh, set my mind to, because uh, I'm not polyamorous, but I uh, set my mind to understand the community and understand the the benefits and and those who choose that lifestyle. And uh, as time went on, because it, it's interesting, just a side note, when I listened back to that episode in 2008 where she's talking about polyamory, my questions are the sort of questions you'll hear from people that don't know anything about polyamory, <laughs> the sort of typical knee-jerk reaction questions that people will have. They'll say like, well, how does that work? Don't you get jealous? Like, are you just are you just cheating on your spouse? You know, these kinds of questions. And I mean, I wasn't asking those questions exactly, but it was from that kind of ignorant mindset, really. Um, over time, I've, I've uh, in, you know, uh, just investigating a lot, but really it was Alina started to refer clients to me who are poly. And so I would start to treat not only individuals, couples, but also the, you know, the polycules as they call them. Right. And so I would have six people on my couch or, yeah, but it doesn't fit six people. So <laughs> I'd have to get other chairs, but it sounds like a little pile. Right. And so there would be a married couple and then uh, the wife's, boyfriend, the husband's girlfriend, uh, another, you know, uh, degree of separation away from that. Yeah. Because, uh, and I don't know if, if you've heard this joke, maybe you have, is that swingers have a lot of sex, but polyamorous people like to talk about having sex a lot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so poly, because part of the polyamorous creed or ethics is to discuss things beforehand so that no one is taken by surprise, everything's consensual, and uh, that polyamorous people are also interested in kind of typically longer-term relationships. So you have, to, you have to talk about it. You have to figure out, you know, what people want, what their needs are. And um, I had a question here, but I'm forgetting what it was. Oh, for those people out there who aren't aware of polyamory, they might be thinking, wait, so he has a kid and now he has, you know, this uh, lifestyle. What's that like for his kid? Can you answer that question? Uh, so my kid is not aware of my polyamorous lifestyle and I do not have plans to have him involved in it or be aware of it. Uh, he doesn't live with me, so he uh, isn't exposed to it. When I am with him, I'm only with him. I don't want to you know, distract the attention that I give him full uh, with anybody else. So that's part of that. Um, I do know that my uh, that many people have polyamorous households. For example, my own girlfriend uh, lives with her husband and her girlfriend in a house. In fact, it's one of the most amazing examples of how polyamory can be so beneficial because um, she, um, my girlfriend, uh, comes from an um, economic background that doesn't uh, give her a lot of leeway in terms of, you know, running her life. And her girlfriend is also uh, not very uh, financially uh, wealthy. But so together, they uh, separately, they they both lived uh, in a relatively, you know, small uh, places. But together, as, as, a, as a family of eight, three adults and five children, they've actually been able to afford a very, very large and very uh, nice house in Auburn where they all live together. And not only is it a huge space for all of them with this, a room for every child, but having three adults living in the house also means they have some, they have you know a hot a meal on the table every day, twice a day, and the place is clean and organized, and there's always somebody to do the laundry. And if one of them needs to go to see a doctor or go out, there's somebody to keep an eye on the kids and keep them 
good and healthy without external babysitters. So it's actually quite amazing, in my opinion. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, very infatuated with, the notion, with some of the notions of polyamory. Of course, it is an imperfect way of life, just like anything else. Uh, jealousy is a challenge for some people. Me, myself, I am incapable of feeling jealousy. I don't know what it is. I think it goes back to my childhood where I was exposed to some of these values very early on and was kind of deprogrammed from that notion. So I've never felt jealousy. I don't know what it's like. I can't even imagine it. <laughs> Lucky for me. Um, people I've seen sometimes were uh, feeling uh, those things. And like you said, it's something we talk about. Um, there is, so swingers and polyamorous people are somewhat distinct groups of people. There's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of people who are both. And of course, there's nothing wrong with swingers. There are, uh, some of my best friends, best friends, best friends are, I've been to swinger clubs. I know what a lot about them. Uh, but realistically, there is some, somewhat of a difference in, in the way uh, things are done. Uh, people who swing, uh, usually have more interest in sex and less in relationships. Um, a lot of them might have sex with a person without even knowing their name. Uh, sometimes they intentionally do not want to know the person's name because they don't want the complication. Uh, on the on the uh, contrast, people who are polyamorous are interested, but less or so in the sexual aspect of the relationship and the connection. The relationship is what it is. And that's the same for me. Like I said, I have a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I actually have very little to no sex with uh, both of them, with either of them, uh, because that's not the main focus of the connection. And that's the way I do things. Some people have more, some people have less. But again, the, the main focus is the, the spiritual connection that I have with those people. The, the love, the caring, the being there for each other, being supportive. For example, my boyfriend has a medical procedure I'm taking him tomorrow for, just like other people would take their wife or, or a girlfriend to it. It's perfectly normal. And that's the important part. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I have treated families like the one you mentioned uh, and I, at the time, I was still doing in-home family therapy. And so that was pretty eye-opening as well to me, a polyamorous family with kids. And I had a lot of conversations with everyone, including the kids. And the, there was a teenage girl, and um, she would talk about how, um, you know, it, she, she was like, yeah, at school, I don't really talk about it because no one really understands. But... I don't know. I don't understand what the big deal is. I mean, my my parent, you know, my four parents are just as annoying as if I had two parents, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yes. They, I have four parents that are telling me what to do and and I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I also understand that they love me and and that's fine. Like uh if you take away the construct and the shame and and the judgment and the the I don't know all those negative connotations, kids are just like, yeah, whatever. It's the same transition that all of us have made in terms of like, wait, so two men can raise a child. Uh, you know, most of us have, have, you know, if we came from a place of ignorance or, yeah. or skepticism, we now understand like, yeah, of course. And research shows that as well. Uh, wait, you know, like, don't you need a woman's love that research shows? no, you, you certainly can if you want, but uh, there's no developmental differences when two gay men raise a, raise a child from birth. Um, so it's the same when it comes to poly relationships as well. Um, and uh, it, it emulates the way it probably was and still is uh, for probably a majority of the world, which is, 
you have your parents and you have your uncles and your aunts and your grandparents and your the friends of the family whom you call aunts and uncles, but they're not really aunts and uncles, who all participate in the the rearing, the child rearing of of an individual. Um, you mentioned the uh, religious right as 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 um, maybe a, f- a part of society that may object to polyamory or or some of these things, and yeah, that does happen. Although, if we really think about this, polyamory goes away way, way, way back. Uh, if you think about even biblical times, uh, Jacob, the famous biblical figure, uh, he married um, he married uh, Leah, and uh, then he mar- he married Rachel. So there was two wives, but those two wives also came with two. Um, I believe the term is, mm, I'm not sure if it's uh, mistress or something, I'm not sure of the English term for it, but basically two women who live with them without um, matrimony. And those kinds of relationships were very common back in biblical times and all throughout history. Only around the fourth century after um, after Christ was where uh, the church kind of started pushing towards uh, monogamy. And then it was about time it became standard. First the Christians and a few hundred years later the Jews also started uh, adopting that way of life, and uh, that's been the case for many, many years, although there are still societies that practice polygamy or variations of it in several ways. So polyamory, of course, is very prevalent in America, in Canada. In my home country of Israel, it's also extremely prevalent. I believe um, approximately 40% of the population of Israel are either practicing it or open to it to some degree. Really? Yes. Uh, there have not been very academic surveys in the last few years, but several of them that have happened shows a significant growth. And I personally believe that in the Northwest, the uh, the percentage in the population is very, very large, uh, possibly above 40%. Hmm. With certain population groups, it's even higher. So the LG- LGBTQ community is more open-minded about it. So it's higher percentage. With the younger generation, it's also more prevalent. So my educated guess, best based on my knowledge of the community and people, I estimate that above 60% of the people in this region and the younger age groups are practicing polyamory in some way or at least experimenting with it. Whether they identify as polyamorous or not. Exactly. Yes. And I would guess based on your estimation that most wouldn't identify as polyamorous, right? Some people would keep it a secret. I myself do not. Uh, people in my workplace and all my friends are aware of it, my family, of course, as well. But yes, there are, there are some stigmas somewhere and some people prefer to keep it private. Or they don't know about polyamory and they're just acting as, yeah, as polyamorous. Some, some people might, might have a lover or something or even do it with some kind of shame or secrecy without knowing that it is in, in reality polyamory, which literally means multiple love. The polyamory concept of, non-eth- of ethical non-monogamy uh, means that we feel obliged to be honest, open, and ethical about it. Uh, but if a person does that unethically, they're still technically loving multiple people at the same time. Uh, I obviously would encourage anybody to be open and, res- and respectful and share that in- information, data, and not do anything unethically or secretly. Reality sometimes is different than what I would hope for, but that's uh, so it is. Right. Meaning that if you're in a committed relationship and you are starting to have strong urges to have sex with other people or you or just connection or, or connection, connection with other people uh, or you just want to make out with someone or you just want to cuddle with someone or yeah, whatever exactly. and that there's a way to navigate that with consent with your partner um, it's not without its jealousy it's not without its potential hurt it's not without the potential of your partner going like uh 
nah, <laughs> uh, I don't want you to do that. I'm a monogamous person. No, you can't do those things. Uh, there's a way to do it ethically, can, you know, respectfully, lovingly that uh, doesn't lead to secret affairs, right? Absolutely. That can be very painful because it's the lies and the the hurt and the deception that destroys people's trust for each other. And if you had just, um, you know, started out as the urge was emerging um, with some conversation, all that could have been saved. Of course, our society doesn't make it any easier because um, there's no rom-coms about polyamory, you know? Well, th th there actually are a little bit of that going on. Uh, it's being portrayed on the media more and more in, in the last few years. Even the, like the current show, uh, there's a show that started a couple of weeks ago called Avenue 5, a science fiction comedy show, uh, where actually they show the captain of the ship talking to two people using something like Skype. And the, the person on Earth says, oh, look, our husband is in space. And then the camera pans to show a picture of three of them together. So they are basically a, mono, uh, uh, a polyamorous uh, thruple, is what we call it. So it's becoming more and more prevalent uh, in the media as well, uh, reflecting real life. Jealousy, ultimately, you know this probably better than I do. Jealousy, a lot of time, comes from fear, the fear of loss. We, are, we have a, a, per a person in our lives and we're afraid that if they love somebody else, they will stop loving us. Which is something that a lot of us kind of get taught over time. People tell us, you know, that you can have only one. If that one's like somebody else, they will leave you. But that's really the thing. Uh, polyamory suggests that that does not have to be that the case. A person can love many people. And if they love you and another person, there's no reason for them to leave. You, you, if you give them a reason, sure. But, but there's no technical reason for it. Uh, they can exist in several ways, either living together or living apart. But there's a lot of options, uh, and there's no need to be afraid. I'm personally, I have multiple partners. I am absolutely not concerned about any of them leaving me because I'm a great guy. I'm nice. I'm friendly. I'm supportive. Um, I'm there for them in every possible way, and, and vice versa. So none of us have to fear that kind of situation. And with, when there's no fear, there's no jealousy, at least in my case. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the fear, the attachment losses, that if they're going to look at someone else, if they're attracted to someone else, if they have sex with someone else, then that is a clear indication of the beginning of the end of that connection, which is uh, not inherently true. I will say that having treated a lot of polyamorous couples and people that the uh, flexibility can lead to more relationships ending, uh, you know, so I'm in my, you know, I, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it, it's just a, it's just a thing, I guess. But I, I have seen people who I would guess if they weren't polyamorous might still be together um, because all your energies have to go into one person. So you kind of have to make it work and there's less um, or there's more stigma that I guess sort of forces people together. Now, of course, on the bad side of that, you have people who are forced in a situation they don't want to be, they start cheating and then they break up, you know, or, or, or they cheat and not break up or something. So it's not like, you know, that's all sort of uh, a good forced situation. But, but I have seen people that I thought, huh, you know, because you're in a, you're in a relationship, it, you're at the 10 year mark, things are not quite as uh, passionate as before. And uh, there's this philosophical question. It's just like, well, um, 
maybe it's time for the relationship to end and, you know, and, and, and starting a new chapter. Uh, but there's another, ph- you know, philosophy and there's no right answer to this of just like, well, what about that long-term familiarity and love that people can have where you're together for 30, 40, 50 years? I've known quite a few people who are polyamorous for an extended period of time that could span decades. So that does happen. Although you are right in the fact that people who are in a monogamous relationship and then decide to turn it into a polyamorous ones do oftentimes feel, uh, find difficulty. Sometimes it's difficult for one of the couple to, to switch gears, to change it up a little bit. And it's not unusual for, for, for a long-time marriage, a married couple that go into polyamory to end up breaking up or changing it up in a way that's significant. People do drift apart in different ways, sometimes um, emotionally, sometimes sexually, sometimes financially. Uh, people who are you know, 20 years old and get married are very different than when, when they are when they're 40. So it's very normal for people to change. It's very normal for them to drift apart or want slightly different things. And uh, a lot of times when they reach around the age of 40, 45, 50, they start to examine things. What's known as the midlife crisis triggers a lot of people to start re-examining things that they thought were they knew, they thought they was the only way. Sometimes it leads to positive stuff. Uh, like I said, I myself have divorced about two years ago and uh, made very big changes to my life, which I'm very happy about. For some people, it may not be uh, that joyous uh, situation. And statistically speaking, some people who turn to polyamory do end up uh, in a divorce or breakup of some kind. That's the reality of it. I don't think it has to be the same the, the way, but sometimes w- w- when I do see that happen, it's usually kind of like the opposite. They don't break up because of polyamory. They break up because they have drifted apart and their uh, relationship is nearing its dawn and the polyamory is just part of it. Like they're looking for ways to deal with the fact that things have changed and one of the ways they do it is by going into polyamory, either because it's the right thing for them or because they're looking for some way to make a change and not sure what to do. So um, saying that, you know, that polyamory causes a divorce, sometimes it does. Sometimes it's the, upper, the opposite, uh, the other way around. The, the divorce ca- causes polyamory. Right. Uh, yeah. One way of looking at it, it's like, well, if the connection, if the marriage, the original relationship was strong enough, it would persevere through the um, so-called threat of outside influence or something. And if it is not strong to begin with, then uh, the polyamory will kind of hasten the end or something. I think that's obviously true in a lot of situations, but it's hard to know because you you can't experiment with two different lives, right? also, there cannot be a perfect balance in that kind of situation. If there's a couple, or there's a couple, two people who are married, and they go into polyamory, it's very rare for both of them to want it the same exact way. Usually, one of them is pushing more towards it, or even exclusively towards it, and that by itself is a huge gap that needs to be addressed. If uh, one person wants it, the other one doesn't, then the other person would typically be reluctant, or maybe even. Um, opposed to it in some way, and that could further the gap that there is between them. Right. So it's a trigger. Yeah, and there's a lot of situations like that. And for people out there listening who aren't aware of this, you might think, oh, it's probably mostly men. In my anecdotal experience, it's it's equal. It's actually more women than men for okay. my, uh, for my uh, statistics um, that show that. Right. A lot of women in monogamous relationships will uh, have always maybe known they were poly on the inside and 
upon hearing about it, they're like, oh, I think I, think I have to be this way. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to have to get a divorce because the, the urge to be with other people is – I want to still be with my husband or my – Uh, my, uh, you know, wife and I, uh, but I have this other side of me. And, and so uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's not by gender. People often assume it's, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of men being leches and this kind of thing. No, absolutely not. And, you know, society has, um, is uh, moving towards empowering women and supporting their rights and their agency. Um, part of the, the me the me too movement is kind of reflective of that as well it's part of it so more women are more assertive about what they want and what they need uh, about their needs being or not being met uh, and so statistically speaking yeah more women are driving and pushing towards polyamory than men so I want to get back to the legal stuff um, uh, I'm, I'm guessing since you seem like a organized fella who um, comes from a professional life that you've considered the legal ramifications, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you're like, well, I don't want someone to take my house away. I mean, yeah. I, I have money in the bank. Uh, if someone wanted to sue me, uh, they could probably, they'd have motivation, I suppose. Uh, what, I don't know if you want to get into it, but like what kinds of things Have you consulted with a lawyer? Uh, what, what kinds of situations are you trying to avoid and what do you do to avoid it? Well, of course, I have consulted with a lawyer and uh, a part of the admission or membership to Spoons requires any a guest to sign a, a release of liability, a, a waiver, uh, which discusses some of the things that might happen at Spoons and, and, and the results. So I feel um, that I've done what it takes. I also, of course, have insurance. Uh, like everybody else, uh, you know, everybody who runs a business is required to. Is it so, cost more for you to get it? Absolutely costs a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did the insurance company go like, wait, so we got to send you to a specialist because we can't figure out what the liability is? They're the same company who insures the CSBC, so they know exactly what oh, I'm okay. talking about. Uh, okay. uh, there was no surprises there. They were good. And uh, I am generally not very concerned about the legal ramification. They're important, and I took steps to ensure that, that, you know, that the business is protected and so forth. But uh, um, people who come to Spoons know exactly what they're going into. The website is very clear about that. The vetting process that I do, as, as I mentioned earlier, I talk to every individual and make sure not only that they are safe for us, but also that we are safe for them. So I, uh, I talk to them to make sure that they know what they're getting into, Um, and that what they're not getting into. I mean, I've sometimes people call me and they seem to think that Spoons is a swingers club or that it runs wild orgies. And of course, that's not the case. So I need to also be clear about that so they don't end up showing up with wrong expectations. And as far as I know, uh, I have all five-star reviews on Yelp. Um, I've received a significant amount of praise directly and indirectly. So I think I'm doing things quite right so far. All your reviews on Yelp are five stars? All of them. Every single... How many? Uh, I don't remember the number, but all of them are, so are we talking five like stars. Five or a hundred or... Uh, some of them are visible or invisible, but I believe there's a few dozen okay. at this point. Because that's pretty shocking. I mean, Yelp, you know, there's always someone. So far, yeah. I've, I've had a person who was unhappy uh, one time, like a person who was, had the wrong level of, of expectation. Like what happened? Um, he uh, came in and he was... Um, spending some time with a the person there and things were kind of heating up. They, he was attracted to that other person. 
he wasn't aware that she wasn't into it. Oh. So he was sure that this is inevitably is going to lead to some kind of sexual encounter. And when he found out that it wasn't, he left unhappy uh, to that degree. And of well, course... Why do you think he had that misperce- misperception? I, I'm not sure. I just, I guess he felt um, aroused by, by, by being close to that person. And it happens, you probably know this, it happens to men mostly, but not only that they receive positive attention from a person of the other gender and they see it as a signal that it's developing into a romantic relationship. Of course, it's not always the case. And uh, I make a point of it in part of my briefing to new guests to, you know, to, to not misinterpret signals and and be uh, respectful and open and, and uh, keep boundaries. But people sometimes can feel, feel or think this way. In this case, of course, he was unhappy and uh, therefore I contacted him and talked to him about it and offered a refund for that event so that at least that I can do. And, um, you know, there's, there's a sort of limit to what I could do. Nobody, you, you can't keep everybody happy, but I did my best and I think I was very fair with him. How much does it cost? Uh, the events cost between 10 and $20, depends on if it's a weekday or weekend. And there's also some options available for uh, uh, group tickets, uh, monthly tickets. Uh, yeah. There's several options. Yeah, I suspect that, because I've seen this before. I mean, on one level, we can't blame some men for at least some of this in that they're taught that there's one mission in life, and that's to bag the babe, and that if a woman gives you eye contact, then that's them signaling to you. Also, messages that men own women, essentially, and if they want something, then they take it. So there's there's all these uh, rape culture messages and also yep. just misunderstandings and sexist messages. But also, I think that for some people, regardless of gender, they are narcissistic in a way and have a hard time mentalizing or understanding what's going on in someone else's mind, and they kind of confuse their own thoughts for other people's thoughts, and they will... Uh, get pretty locked in um, Absolutely. And, and and then when the other person finally draws a line the narcissistic person becomes extremely angry because they're like well you led me on like you were purposefully screwing with me when in fact the victim was just like I was just being nice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, it happens a lot. Yeah. And so I, I imagine that personality also comes into play. Yep. Uh, do you try to screen for that? Because that'd be hard to screen for. It's difficult to screen for, and there's a certain limitations. I can't, you know, grill. I can do a hundred. I can't do what's it called a uh, hundred twenty degree, or I can't grill a person on the phone or know everything about them. Uh, if they lie to me, you know, they lie to me, and all I can realize on my senses and ethics, and uh, that's why I mentioned sometimes I meet a person in in person rather than on phone if I'm not confident that I'm reading them right over the phone. Um, but that's you know that's part of life. Uh, I do. Beyond the fact that, of course, the website is very clear about what Spoons is and isn't, and beyond clearing it in the briefing, the and on the phone, we, like I mentioned, we have a briefing that we we do to new guests at the beginning of every event. So for half an hour, we talk about rules and concepts and what is, what isn't. We talk about consent. We talk about discretion. And uh, I believe I'm very clear with that. And so in in the five months, we've had dozens of parties and we've not had any significant issues like that, other than the person I mentioned. 
and hopefully that will continue to be the case. I'm very diligent. It's very important to me uh, to give you know to create that safe space. Uh, being small, that means I'm also kind of I'm always there in the middle watching what's ever what's going on, and if I see any kind of change in tone, any change in the atmosphere, I might intervene. Uh, safety is always our number one priority. I mean, if the Center for Sex Positive Culture with Helena Gabosch, which in from my memory was around for decades, yes. uh, managed to survive with them doing a lot more variety of things than what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, they must have navigated the legal aspects uh, yeah. somehow. Our community, both of the CSBC and my own um, people, are very um, attached to the, you could say, polyamory community. So the, the majority of them are polyamorous, and also many of them are part of the kink community. And that community, because it's does not um, focus heavily on sex, and many of us are more spiritual or, or sensual in that sense, so they're less prone to, to, to issues that revolve around sex. So that's why I believe uh, the CSPC was so successful. The people, the community just kind of self-regulates, both in terms of balance of male versus female and balance of activity. And the same uh, thing has been evident in Spoon as well. People are very, are very happy and very uh, you know, enjoying that kind of atmosphere without having issues. Yeah, that makes sense to me because, again, as I was talking about in the introduction, when we look to our primate cousins, there's a lot of touching. Uh, bonobos are uh, pretty sexual. Uh, chimps are, uh, on average, less sexual but can be. Uh, but both species have a lot of touching, a lot of uh, you know grooming and uh, just checking in with each other and that kind of thing. And the uh, fact that you say that, it's like, well us we're so free to exhibit what we want and get our needs met sexually physically romantically intimately you know talking touching sexual uh boundaries very good at communicating about boundaries and what ends up happening is the community as you're saying gravitates more towards uh, uh, not so much towards sex as one might uh, assume it's it's intimacy, its closeness, it's like a spiritual connection with people, which uh, makes a lot of sense to me that uh, deep down, if we're left to our own devices, uh, we would touch a lot more and maybe even have sex less often on some level. Maybe. (laughs) Because for us, uh, uh, mainstream people, maybe one of the only ways we can cuddle and have that spiritual connection is by having sex. And so we're sort of routed into that one aspect of, of physical intimacy when if we're just really allowed to be ourselves, uh, 99% of the touching would, would be non-sexual because that's, that's our natural state. Uh, that's interesting yep. to think about. I agree, yes. Um, indeed, sex is intimate to a lot of people and um, they gravitate towards it. And maybe, of course, people who are partnered up do have sex on a regular basis. But... Um, like I said before, it doesn't have to be this way. There's a lot of other options. I've actually had a guest tell me a few weeks ago that they received more touch in one evening at Spoons than they have with their boyfriend for of two years. So, because you know, even beyond the whole uh, sexual aspects, some people are just less interested in that, and that's normal as well. That that happens. Not everybody's the same. Uh, so, you know, we give people the option, the, the opportunity, even if they're not partnered up, even if they're partner is not interested if they don't have the time 
I actually have some guests that come and do nothing but sleep throughout the whole event just because the atmosphere is so comfy and cozy and, and relaxing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Uh, most Americans are sleep deprived, I think, particularly in Seattle because of people who work in tech, honestly, and they're, spe- they're expected to work so much that uh, as soon as you got them in a comfortable, warm spot, they would just conk out. Yeah. Um, had, I might, too. I, I, I'm very quick to nap. So <laughs> I've had a group of four people who fell asleep during the event a few, uh, it was last Saturday, I believe, and I just, I, the party was supposed to be over at 2 a.m., but I just couldn't bring myself to kick them out, so I just let them stay, and they slept until almost 5 a.m. Oh, my God. And then kind of walked by themselves and left. What did you do? You, you just left? or No, I, I, I went to sleep, too. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, so like, there's rules. It's supposed to end at 2 a.m., but you know they were sleeping. They were not doing anything else. Yeah. Why kick them out? That's funny. Uh, yeah, another uh, outlet that a lot of people will seek is massage to get touch. I find that uh, there's it's a socially sanctioned way of getting one's needs met physically in yes. this way uh, that um, won't necessarily be for any medical reason, but it's it's like, I need to be touched, <laughs> and it's a professional person that, that touches you, yeah, and it's socially sanctioned. It. You know? yeah, that's one way to do it. And obviously sex work as well. By uh, coincidence, my building actually has two massage parlors that are unrelated to, to, to spoons in any way. But uh, it, you're absolutely right. Uh, massage is a form of touch, and it's you know healthy in many, many other ways. I myself like a foot massage, so I, I go to, to those places to just to get that. It's not about touch, of course. It's, uh, there's health benefits to it, but yes, you're absolutely right. Do therapists ever recommend spoons to their clients? I have been told by several uh, therapists that they have sent people to, towards spoons, can know specifically which ones, of course, uh, for privacy reasons, but uh, I've been told that it's, uh, it's a thing That's for several great. of them. So I want to end with you describing to listeners what the lived experience is like for you when you are either at Spoons or wherever and you don't know the people, you've never, maybe when you first ventured into this or something. I want to have the listeners get into your shoes a little bit for uh, me what was it like for you for me touch has always like i mentioned the the military example is something that's always kind of been on my mind so for me it's very natural very easy going very simple um i've even had homeless people come to me and ask for a hug like they don't know anything they don't know that i associated with spoon or anything they've just gone on the street a person would walk up to me and say hey can i have a hug and i cannot say no i mean I like. To, I would say I don't want to, but it's my job. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but but I but I do I do do that. And um, for me, making this happen is is my calling. Is is my life's purpose. Uh, hopefully, one day I'll be able to do it full time. Um, one day, or there will be other uh, venues and clubs that do this kind of thing. For me, walking into spoons is the thing that I wait for the whole week or the whole day, whenever you know depends on timing. Um, it's six hours or four hours, if that's the weekday, of pure happiness and bliss. Now, of course, it is more for me as the owner, because uh, things kind of revolve around me in a way. Uh, but, Meaning it's but, more blissful for you? Uh, yes, than, than the average Joe, I guess. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. 
I would think it'd be less because you have to like be organization guy. Uh, there is that aspect. I mean, there is a certain level of stress related to the fact that I have to run the show uh, and I can't fully immerse myself in a cuddle as I would have maybe preferred. Uh, but still, just going in there and knowing that, you know, today in an hour is going to be a bunch of people here. We're all going to cuddle. We're going to be together. It just, it's something I'm, I wait for the whole day. And uh, it kind of fills my spoons, if you will, you know, spoons theory about uh, personal energies. Uh, spoons theory is a way that some people kind of uh, look at mental energy, where a person might have the mental energy to do certain things, care about certain things, and they might uh, lose or deplete some of that energy. So like if you've had a very long day at work with a lot of people demanding you or a lot of stress or pressure, you run low on that energy or run low on spoons. And <clears throat> you might sometimes uh, hear or see a person just kind of being out of spoons, like I don't have any more spoons to give which kind of is a different way that to say that they don't care anymore. They don't have the ability to, to care anymore. I believe I've never run out of spoons myself. One of the reasons being is that there's so many things that fill up my spoons um, collection. And spoons itself does exactly that. Uh, you know, an hour or two of cuddling, and I'm fresh back to factory settings, ready to give and, 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 and receive and be loved and be loved and love others. Just like, you know, like I was just born. So it's really healthy for me. Uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive guy. I enjoy social interactions, both at work and with friends outside of the cuddling experience. So a lot of things fill up my spoon's uh, uh, bank, if you will. So you're laying there for two hours, cuddling with people, yeah. the same people on either side of you. You move around. What do you do? Uh, because I am, I, I run the show, I do have to move around a lot. So do other people move around? Yes, people do move around. We we even have a chime that chimes every half hour to kind of remind people that time is passing so that they might get reminded to kind of shift. Um, myself, I would typically spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes with a certain group around me or near me. And then I might get up and get a drink or answer the door or do something else, check my messages, come back and sometimes uh, cuddle with another group. These are all friends of mine. I mean, they're they're technically speaking, they're customers, but they're much more to me. It's much more personal to me. I greet every person who comes in the door. I greet usually with a hug every person who leaves. And I try to spend some time with every person who's at the party uh, or the event. Of course, if they don't want to, that this, they're right. But if they're open to it, and most of them are, I try to spend at least some time with each. So I basically just kind of like a butterfly, spend 20 minutes there, then move to another group or move to another side of the group to be closer to somebody else. Uh, I talk to people all the time, you know, when they come in and discuss things. A lot of people come up with ideas and notions and thoughts about what we could do at Spoons, ideas. For example, um, about a week and a half ago, somebody suggested we do D&D events at the place because a lot of people who are in the community are fans of D&D. So I'm now exploring and looking into doing this uh, hopefully soon. And that's, that's also another part of it. People come with ideas. I kind of like to say yeah. that if, if my that that it's a community, if I I will do what my people need. So if people want a petting zoo, I'll go get some goats and make that happen. Obviously, it's that's ooh. You could have cats and dogs <laughs> intermixed with the yeah. with the humans for the cuddling. Obviously, the goats is a bit of an exaggeration, but that's my spirit. I really want to give people what they want and what they need. So I'm almost open to almost any kind of idea and suggestion. Yeah, I'm just imagining you know for myself. I, I'm sort of a 
fidgeter and a little bit of a hyperactive soul. Uh, so if I was laying there, I would imagine that I'd, my brain would get bored or something. It might. It might. <laughs> uh, are the people, the, the sort of people who can truly just zen out and relax like that? Because f- for two hours, that would be... I mean, I guess the only thing I can really uh, relate to it is like a long massage. And I, I guess I have to um, calm my brain down enough to handle, you know, 90 minutes of, of no visual stimulation or where I'm doing anything. Uh, the, the but it's still a little different because there's still some variance to like the the massage, you know, movements, you know, five minutes on this leg. And f- there's there's a little bit of variety of the stimulation. So... Um, I'm just wondering, like, what your experiences of that is. The climate of the of the place itself is designed to be comfy and relaxing, so that could help or make people more relaxed. And, and many are may stay in the same place for three, four, five, six hours. Um, most people do move around, and of course, as a guest, you're free to do whatever you want. So you can come in for half an hour and leave. You can come in for 45 minutes, or it's totally up to you. People do move around. It's normal. It's human. Uh, so they would move from one group to the other. They might go grab a drink or sometimes, you know, people who are vapors or smokers sometimes go outside for a little break. Bathroom breaks are also uh, a part of it, you know, six hours, right? Mm-hmm. So it's totally it's totally flexible. I've seen many people who literally stay in the same place for six hours and not move an inch. There's people who move every 10 minutes. There's people who ultimately are just not a fit for spoons. I mean, some people walk in find that it's not their thing and leave. Do people it's talk? Happens. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, most people who, who spend time cuddling do it while talking. Oh. So it's social. It's a social interaction. People they, are talking. They catch up about the news of the week. They talk about politics and the... Uh, are there individual the conversations stuff. or is like all yes. dozen people talking? It's usually some kind of group. I mean, again, the idea is that it's a group thing. So it's usually several people talking to each other. If there's a row of six people, then the person on one end can't really hear the person on the other end. But it's a conversation that kind of flows around the group back and forth. And uh, what's she saying? What, what she, tell yeah, her. Tell yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. That happens a lot. People just, you know, repeating and, and, and echoing or so discussing. So most of the time there's talking. Yes. The majority of people do talk and oh. catch up. And uh, some of them don't. Some do. But okay. Because in my head I thought it was just social. like it's quiet, you know, but, but that uh, makes more sense to just like Caressing each other is, is a big deal as well. People caress each other when they are near each other. Sometimes when I'm in a in a group like this, I have, you know, five, six people around me. I caress one with each hand and another sometimes with my thigh or my foot. So it's 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 a great part of a pleasure of the experience of, you know, getting a positive affection in yeah. that way as well. Is there a, a thought to erections happening? Uh, I mean, is there at least a, a, a conversation that people have? Because if a woman becomes aroused, it's less noticeable. Yes. If a man does, then... Uh, I, I'm just wondering if there's self-consciousness or, I don't know. I've not seen anything of issue happen at the place itself. I do know of one individual who was contemplating coming to Spoons and did not because they were concerned that they might, um, that the closest might cause them to uh, have an erection and then that might embarrass them. So, of course, that's an option. That's a possibility for some people to, to be uncomfortable in that way. Uh, they could wear something to help with that if they were really, really concerned. And because we're all, almost all of us are sex positive uh, people who are adults and open-minded, I think that if someone were to develop a partial or full erection, it wouldn't really bother anybody else. It might even be seen as a compliment in some ways. Because yeah. just feeling attracted 
doesn't mean that you have to act on it. It doesn't mean that it has to be unusual. Yeah. Right. It's our association with erections that, yeah. that uh, the negative association is like, oh, he's going to rape me or, oh, he's going to stalk me or, yep. oh, now he's going to want to have sex with me or, oh, now, you know, he has, he has evil, impure thoughts about me right now or something. And it's like, you know, no, not necessarily. Uh, it, it's just, it's just an erection. It's, it happens. It's fine. You know what? I'll admit, I myself have occasionally, when cuddling with people, have felt uh, a certain attraction to one or more and sometimes even develop an erection. Usually what I do in this situation is I pull back a little bit to not make them feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to you know, poke them with it or anything. So I just pull back a few inches so they wouldn't feel uncomfortable. And I myself, I, I know it's a normal reaction and it doesn't mean anything. I don't act on it. I don't do anything. So... Yeah, what happens? It's life. Yeah, I mean, massage therapists, similar. They will say that, oh, yeah, you know, I had a guy, he had had an erection, but, and I was more concerned about his embarrassment than anything else. Um, Is marijuana uh, an enhancement for some people's experience? Uh, It is forbidden by policy at our place. Uh, the main reason, so alcohol and drugs are not allowed either inside the facility or guests are not allowed to uh, to arrive impaired. The main reason, even though I, I respect and value these substances and even sometimes use some of them myself, um, they could affect a person's consent or decision-making process. Mm. And I don't want anybody cuddling and then making or doing something that they may regret later. So our policy is that you're not allowed to use those substances on the premises. And if somebody comes in and they feel or seem impaired uh, by a significant amount, then I would uh, avoid or prevent them from uh, from joining the event. seems like yeah. a hard thing to monitor. I mean, a lot of people will use weed uh, every day yep. and yep. don't look impaired. So, well, Look, I'm not the police. I don't test them. I yeah. can't really complete it. And to be honest, to be fair, you know, if they had you know a half a glass of wine an hour before, it's not really going to impair most people's judgment. So that's not really what we're targeting here. Creating a safe atmosphere. So I tell people what they're allowed or not allowed to do. It's, of course, listed on the website as well, and I talk about it in our briefing. Uh, and I look at people as they walk in. I see how they talk. I greet everybody individually. Uh, it's not. It has not happened so far in the five months and the dozens of parties that anybody arrived impaired. But if they had you know, a hit on, of a vape pen uh, before and they're slightly affected by it, slightly happier, it is not a huge concern as long as it's reasonable. So the last question, and this is the second last question I've asked, is uh, there are people listening all over the world. And obviously, if you have a cuddle organization in your area, uh, that would uh, be a venue for you if this is inspiring you out there to get your needs met in that way or to experiment with it to see if it's, it's for you. A lot of people, though, don't live in communities where that's an option. What can they do? Some people can travel if they're within a reasonable distance, of course. I've had people come from Olympia all the way to Seattle for cuddle events. Um, I've seen have people come from Anachi and from Everett and other distances. If there's none in the community, I would encourage people to have, to, to create, to make. What I did, um, I mean, I'm a regular guy. Anybody could do it. Anybody could rent a space somewhere. Or even if they're, it's their own living room at home or a friend's house. Uh, could put together a space and, and have a cuddle event. So um, I would hope that anybody who's interested and wants to will just make that happen in their region. Um, I would even gladly uh, give any person who is interested my entire 
kit or set of you know documents with the operational procedures and information and stuff like that to, to help them get get started give them all the information they need the world needs more cuddling and I'm committed to doing whatever it takes to make that happen where can people contact you uh, the spoons.org website is where uh, they can find both information about the org itself and contact form as well for me uh, it's listed there uh, I'm also pretty easy to find I mean if you type my name Ares Benary anywhere I have quite heavy presence on the internet very easy to find that's a hard URL to get spoons.org is it <laughs> was it it seems like that would have been chosen oh, a long time ago by someone else you would have thought that but no it was right there waiting for me so that was kind of like a clue that spoons is a good thing also it was available in other social media places so i just grabbed it and it's been working well for me well thanks for coming on the podcast eras it's thanks been, for having uh, me. nice to talk to like I, I think that uh even just talking about cuddling somehow gets some sort of need met uh, for for me anyway, it's just like it's a warm kind of feeling just to talk about you know these kinds of things that well, I would love to have you at Spoons as my guest anytime you like. Thanks. Well, people out there, if you want more information, uh, go to spoons dot org and find out more. Uh, and there are cuddling events uh, that are less organized or i don't know less professionalized that i've heard about and you might be able to find that in your area people people's living rooms that kind of thing yes and our website also links to all most or all of these uh, places and events like um, directories and other cities yes, there's, a, there's a page called uh, resources links that has uh, organizations and just to mention it is spoons with a z so spoons with a z. With a z. Org. okay and uh, if you have comments, leave them below. Chime in. Let us know what you think. What are your experiences with it? Are you getting your needs met? Uh, do you do you feel deprived in this way? Is there a barrier to this? Do you have a problem with any of this kind of stuff? Let us know. And if you want to email me directly, you go to our website, psychologyinseattle.com, fill out the Contact Us page. Let us know what you think. And please take care of yourself. Get your cuddling needs met your touch needs met because you deserve it you really really do <music>